Hey friends, welcome to It's All In My Head, where I talk to people about their experiences with mental health in a real, raw, and vulnerable way. I'm here to share stories that connect us to others in the way that mental health shows up for us, the challenges that we face, the stuff that gets us through, and perhaps most importantly, how we remain resilient. I'm your host, Joel Kaskinen. Welcome back to It's All in My Head with Joel Kaskinen, your host. Um, I am sitting across from virtually, kind of sitting across from, I don't really know, across the country from, um, one of my closest friends from Colorado, McKay Elliott. So welcome, McKay. If you would just um, jump in here with an introduction, um, just who you are, kind of how we know each other, and then I will introduce you further and we'll get into the nitty gritty. Wonderful. Hi, hello, Joel. Good to see you. Um, so Joel and I met in Gunnison, Colorado. We both uh, worked at Western uh, Colorado together, and he was one of my very first people that I met on campus. Um, I moved to Gunnison, literally not knowing anybody, um, and I'm sure we'll dive into that, the reasons why I did that later, but it was something where I just instantly felt a connection with him. And I am so thankful that we became friends. And uh, yeah, I work in academic advising. I'm the assistant director of advising on campus. And then I work with a lot of students in a lot of different capacities, um, working as study abroad coordinator. I work with students who are undeclared. I work with uh, students in the Spanish department at my university. So I wear a lot of hats and I get to do a lot of fun and a lot of administrative stuff in my life. So it's never a boring day, I would say. Not at all. You certainly do wear a ton of hats and you're so good at all of them. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh, I need that confidence boost right now. Jeez. No, seriously, that's like one of the first things that I remember thinking when we met was like, this chick is like my age and she's got it. Like you, I just remember like thinking how put together you were and like how good you were. Like, I mean, I fully show up and I'm like messy and gross and I'm like, I'm loud and crazy and certainly a disaster. I mean, yeah, but I like look at other people my age and I'm like, like you and Hope, like two of my closest friends and everyone looks at you and they're like, you two have got it together. And they look at me and they're like, this bumbling idiot somehow has the responsibility of taking care of 400 students. <laughs> I, you know what? I think that that is something that certainly we can talk about today is kind of like that perception of people, like the people have of me and how that has impacted my journey with mental health and my like self-image and how I, how I view other people viewing me. Right. Cause I'm constantly in my head. I'm like, do you love me? Am I doing the right thing? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's good feedback. I hear pretty, pretty frequently, actually. I love that. Well, sort of, you know what I mean? Um, Okay, so I guess let's jump into it. Um, I was going to introduce you further and just like say how we know each other further and just like how it was funny because we've worked together for, you know, multiple years while I was 
out Western. And then it really was like the last year that I was there that like you and I started like hanging out in a social manner too. Um, and we became really good friends and you Laurel and I started hanging out and like Katie too. And so, I mean, like it was a whole group, but, um, it's wild that like we both immediately like found that interest and that connection to each other, but then it took us a little bit to get into that like social group setting. Yeah. Anywho, that's enough about who we are and how we know each other. So let's get into mental health. Um, and so, you know, the drill, you've listened to my podcast, you have attempted recording with me a couple of times and the mercury and retrograde situation that, uh, the powers that be (laughs) kept us from recording that day. So, um, what does your what's your relationship with mental health? Where are you at in your journey today? Yeah, talk us through that. This is so wonderful to be here. I think because this is a conversation that I've been having with myself for a long time. So I would just kind of back up a little bit and talk a little bit about where I first came into my journey with. Um, exploring my my mental health and um, seeking out help and all of that good stuff. So I would say that I'm the classic example of someone who didn't quote unquote need counseling services or therapy or check-ins from friends because I have always been that person that is there for everybody else. Um, one of the things that Joel and I initially have been um, able to bond over is the fact that we are both deeply empathetic individuals and we're both um, very attuned to other people's needs and, and their thoughts and feelings, right? And so I have always been the person in, in my group, right? My family, my friends, that is the strong one, right? And I never had any type of situations arise in my life until I got to college, right? Where I felt like I needed extra help. I always felt like I had it under control. I was very self-motivated. I was pretty independent, right? And upon, you know, further introspection as an adult, right? I'm starting to sit here and think like, is that really like my innate personality or was that just something that I was always praised for, right? And so as a child, I would say that I had a lot of people telling me, you're so easygoing, you're so, like like you said, like put together, like you don't need help. So no one really ever, you know, bothered to like check in with me. You know, obviously my, my family and my parents love me and they, you know, would be like, if I was sad, they would check in, right? But yeah, yeah when you, I feel like when you're the type of person that is outwardly facing, like, like we've said, put together or, you know, not necessarily seeming like there's anything wrong. It, it, it's very natural for us to just be like, yeah, that's the person. Right. And so I've kind of inhabited this space for a long time, despite, you know, dealing with traditional things of teenage dumb. Right. And so it wasn't until I got to college where I had always, you know, viewed myself as like this very perfectionistic, high achieving, like I'm very social. I have a lot of friends, but I failed, right? For the very first time, I had a semester in college that was extremely rough for me, not because of subject material, but because I had recently gone through like a pretty traumatic relationship, breakup, up and down situation. And I was undiagnosed, right? I never sought out help, but 
upon, you know, thinking about that time in my life, I definitely was suffering from depression. I was having a very difficult time going to work. I was a resident advisor. So I worked in housing, just like Joel. Um, I All these housing connections. I was not finding joy in anything in my life. I literally failed half of my classes after being a 4.0 GPA student. And I had no desire to show that side of myself to anyone that I was close with. And that was super detrimental to me, right? I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind to go seek out help. I mean, occasionally I would like to have a debrief vent with my mom who I'm very close to, but I typically am a little up and down emotionally anyway, right? Because I'm, I'm a deep feeler. I feel the highs really high. I feel the lows yeah. really low, but typically I'm able to like regulate and bounce back pretty quickly. And so that was like a huge wake up call for me. I got fired from my job. I was no longer allowed to be a resident advisor. So I lost my housing. I lost my income. I lost like what was essentially like a pretty solid identity for myself, not only through the position, right. But because I was on academic probation and that was a total 180 from the person that I expected myself to be and how I think everybody else expected it from, from me, you know? And so since then I have been on a journey and this was almost 10 years ago. Right. And so I've been on this journey to try to reconcile like that. I don't have to be the person that I view. It's, it's not even how I think I need to be. It's what I think others think I need to be because I've been praised so much for being this positive influence in people's lives. And I've been praised for being, you know, so like go with the flow, carefree, like McKay is so amenable to everybody's like ideas about what they want to do. Right. And so that was my initial moment when I decided to, after prompting, right. And actually coming clean to like my family and friends and being like, yeah, I was like in a not good place for a while. But none of them knew, right? None of them knew because I would not talk to them about it because I have this perfection facade, right? And none of them, through how I conditioned them to treat me, right? None of them thought, hey, let's do a check-in with McKay. Like something's off or like, you know, she's just just a check-in, right? Even if mm-hmm, she's doing mm-hmm. totally fine. And so that was my first inclination to start seeking mental health services once I kind of came clean to like my family and friends, which was super hard for me to be, that was like the most anxiety ridden I've ever been in my life is to like tell my people, I I have to find a new place to live. I have to find a job and I am on academic probation. So I think that that was a really important watershed moment for me. and moving forward in my life, I've definitely taken baby steps to be like my most authentic self when I'm with people. But yeah, it seems like I still have those lingering tendencies to not want to share all of my experiences because I want people to view me as a certain way. And that's been really detrimental to me in my life with friendships and relationships and being scared to try new things when I want to. So you know, currently my, my relationship with mental health is that I am in therapy regularly and it's very, um, helpful to me, even though, you know, I feel like in the past I've 
kind of shied away from from doing that i've gone in and out of therapy for about 10 years now right mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's a lot of i don't need this i'm fine like self-talk like i'm in a really good spot right now i don't feel like i need to do that right and that's because i have a bad bias towards towards mental health needs right i'm thinking like i don't need that because I'm not suffering from like a clinically diagnosed condition, right? Or I'm not needing to take any type of medication. So I tough it out, McKay, like you can work it out yourself, right? Like be positive, like do some mantras and some like affirmations and you'll be fine, right? Which I think is good. Like positive mindset is really helpful, but you can't positivity your way out of things that like you truly need help with and that you truly need like extra support on. And that was really tough for me to reckon with. I love that you just said you can't positivity your way out of the tough stuff. Like, I feel like that needs to be, I don't know, the title of this episode or something. Hey, um, it, yeah. <laughs> there it is. Um, but you're so right. I mean, like, I think when it comes to things, to experiences like you and I have had, um, we have always been the strong friend, the strong family member, the person that kind of keeps our groups together. And I think that we get kind of shuffled alongside of, if you will. Um, You know, we get lost in that shuffle um, of life because we haven't, we don't always display um, that, that things are going poorly. Um, And it's because we often we are such empaths. We take on the experiences and feelings and emotions of others. And so when we're in good settings, we're good. And when we're in lower settings, we are there to help that other person through that low setting and, you know, sit with them and process those emotions and be there, but we don't ever flip it back onto ourselves. And I think that you're totally right by making it so we are the person that or we are viewed by other people as the person who is strong and got it together and, you know, doesn't need any support. We have failed ourselves to receive those check-ins from other people. That reciprocity that we give to other people, it's it's not coming back to us. You know what I mean? There's, there's not that reciprocity. Um, And so I think that you're totally you hit a nail on the head with, with all of that. But um, I want to jump into what you were saying about having a challenge of finding your authentic self as you're growing up. I feel like that's something that I'm currently battling. I feel like I've made so many changes in my life in the last, I would say two years, especially um, that I don't, feel like I am the same version of myself as I was two years ago. And I think that that's a good thing, but I also think that like, sometimes that I struggle because I'm not that person. I I don't recognize the person that I am anymore. And I have to shed that new skin or old skin. What's the phrase? How it's something about snakes shedding skin. Just like shed the old skin, I think. Yeah. Okay. So I have to do that in order to like come into my new authentic self. And so I, I want to tap into that for you. Like, what does that look like for you? And what does, what does authenticity mean to you? Yeah. So, you know, I have been putting a lot of thought into this exact topic over the last couple of months. Um, 
I am the type of person where I love to try new things, right? That's like an inherent quality that I love about myself. And one of the things that brought me to Gunnison specifically was because I totally needed a change in my life, right? And I felt like where I was, who I was with, like my trajectory was just not congruous with my life plan, essentially. And I think that that whole like rocking the bow and like going and doing something a little bit more like self-interested as opposed to being like complacent and like obedient towards like what I think other people wanted me to do, Uh right? It was really like a tough, like a tough moment for me, but I decided to do it. So like I mentioned previously, I moved here without knowing a single person. And my, my goal when I first moved here was um, you know, I, I used to weigh a lot more than I do now. And so it was, uh, something where I was like, okay, I'm going to get everything together in my life. I'm going to get a good job that I like. I'm going to get really healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of these things. And that to me at the time was me living my most authentic life, right. Was trying to do something for myself that was totally crazy to a lot of people. My family and friends, um, were like, you're moving where, like, what <laughs> Right. Um, which is funny because you came from Oklahoma, which is like, yeah. when I think of Oklahoma, I think where, huh? <laughs> I ever see? Uh, yeah. So actually, I guess I did two transformative life changes over the course of a couple of years, moving from Oklahoma to Fort Collins, Colorado, and then down to, down to Gunnison. But I thought that was my like ticket to happiness. Right. I was mm-hmm. like, changed my life. I'm like, trying to be like Zen. I like started to like really try to get into a little bit of meditation and, you know, just being communing with nature. I thought all these things would like fix me. Right. Cause I was, I was unhappy. I was very beholden to the opinions of other people. I felt very just like not myself and I didn't know who I, who I wanted to be. Right. So fast forward, about two and a half years, right? I've been here and I'm like, all right, I feel really good physically. I really love my job. I'm like establishing myself in the ways that I want to, but despite things coming together or aligning, I'm still not like fulfilled in my life, right? I'm still not like a a happy person. And Mm -hmm. that is my current work towards being my authentic self is starting to shed those boundaries that I set upon myself to allow that energy of like friendship and people wanting to check in on me um, and people wanting to be, you know, involved in my life in a, in a deep way. Um, I think that I am currently trying to be showing up to my relationships as I am. And that is meaning I am honoring how I'm feeling that day. I am honoring kind of my initial reactions to things. I am not tempering down my, I'm okay. I'm working towards, right. Not tempering down my opinions on things and like how I genuinely feel about things. And I think that the whole empathy piece and the whole, um, like deep, deep people pleasing tendencies has maybe in some way made me at odds with who I am inherently, right? Like inherently, I feel like I am like a pretty like loud personality. Like I feel like I have a lot of opinions and I have a lot of like joy inside of me that maybe isn't necessarily like what is like 
conventional or what people would expect from me knowing me, but I just am currently kind of struggling with like who I kind of feel like I've been trained to be from being a woman and being in society and like working in the, in the jobs that we work in versus like, mm-hmm. who am I actually? And like, what am I not doing to bring, bring that person to all of my relationships? I certainly want deep relationships. Like I'm an Enneagram type two to the core. Right. And I like relationships, my people, like harmony are all the things mm-hmm. that I most value in my life. And I had a, like, actually like a, almost an epiphany like a couple of days ago to be honest with you where I thought how can I have deep authentic relationships if I am not showing up how I am why am I thinking that me trying to strive for perfection or me trying to strive for I gotta conform to this type of person that I think this person will like and accept how is that ever going to give me the result that I'm looking for you know so that's currently where I'm at with all that wow 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 (laughs) Um, um, I love that you talked about being an Enneagram too, and, you know, like really being people focused because that's always something that you've been, but you also inherently at the heart of who you are, you're a people pleaser. And so kind of trying to find that boundary of people pleasing and people loving, but also showing up as yourself. That's like, Hey, I'm going to set some boundaries here. I'm going to share with you my full opinion and that might like cause some friction here and some tension here I think that that's always something that people like you and I struggle with does that make sense no no it does absolutely I have had a lot of experiences in my life where I have not done something that I really felt like strongly about or I have not said something in an effort not to rock the boat. Exactly. Yep. Same. I read this quote a while ago that really resonated with me. And it said, you have to forgive yourself for the times that you self-betrayed in an effort not to hurt other people. Oh, damn. I was like slapped in the face with truth on that one. Yeah. Someone write that specifically for me because it was really impactful. It was really impactful. I think about it almost every single day. And the fact that yeah, how it has, that's basically been a lot of my experiences. In my Honestly, life. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, I would say that's something that I've struggled with up until the last couple of years. And I think truthfully, it was me hitting my rock bottom and spiraling out into my mental health, like major, major depressive episode. And, you know, losing faith in myself, losing faith in my job community, losing faith in people that I had trusted and losing faith in humanity a little bit, just because of how deeply hurt I was feeling. And I think that kind of ultimately led me to flip the script for myself and say, you can't hold back your emotions and your feelings any longer. You have to tell people when you're hurting and you also have to tell people like, sometimes you have to be truthful and honest and share your opinion and be blunt and, you know, be brutal at times. And even if, even if it does rock the boat and even if it does hurt, and that's why I've been, you know, you saw me at the last couple of months that I was at Western. I was not a nice person. I was hurt and I was deeply in pain and I took it out on everyone, but it was like, I have to share my truth for you all to see 
that you all are causing harm. And, you know, now that I work in mental health education and suicide prevention, it's that harm reduction aspect that I think about. And when it's coming to the suicide prevention element or aspect of my work, if I can talk someone down from the ledge or, you know, like share a personal story in order to keep someone a little bit safer, we're going to do it, you know? And if that's going to be me telling the truth or them telling the truth, great. And if that means like, we're going to self-harm because it keeps us alive. Great. I'm going to take that self-harm, even though I know that it's not a positive coping mechanism. It's not constructive. If it's going to keep someone alive, like I'm, I'm going to take it. And that's how I approach things now is like, you know, sometimes we have to take a step back to get us moving forward. And if that means me not eating for a day, or if that means I have a messy night of drinking, because that's just where I'm at mentally right now, I'm going to show up in those settings, whether I'm like an alcoholic drunk mess, or I'm not eating for days and I'm laying in bed or, you know, whatever, like people are going to see that and they're going to notice like, Joel needs to be checked in on today. Like that's the kind of like approach to harm reduction that I'm now looking at. And, you know, I look at it from that authenticity standpoint. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. And I think that there's a, there's a difference that we have to acknowledge between like being messy in terms of like, we are out just letting loose. We are out doing our thing. We are decompressing right mm-hmm, and that's going to look different mm-hmm. for everybody right and i think that one of the things that i have struggled with and that like being authentic to myself and decompressing is like being so nervous about how and like consumed about how people view me in terms of like yeah when i am in those moments where i'm like i'm having a good time with my friends i'm drinking a little too much i'm like not talking to someone for days on end because I just don't have mental energy and I'm protecting myself. Mm -hmm. Those are healthy things that we do sometimes, right? That those are things that we are going to do to decompress. And I don't think that that is something that we have to apologize for. And that's my thing is where I'm like, oh my gosh, I like did something that was not good or not perfect. So people are going to judge me. People and think- then you will feel the need to apologize afterwards. It's like, or- that's another thing that we have to get over. We have to stop apologizing for things that we don't actually need to apologize for, nor do we mean those apologies. Yeah. It's like, I can acknowledge it. Yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. That happened. But when we suppress that so much, because I feel like one of the things about, you know, this, whole concept of like toxic positivity and you know solutions based stuff is we are so uncomfortable as a society talking about things Mm -hmm. that make us sad or like reasons why we put ourselves in maybe positions like that is that we're so solutions oriented right it's like we're having this conversation and you could say like oh well you know hey if you wanted to not feel anxious like that anymore stop drinking or if you wanted to like have people check in on you, you need to say, hey, you, if you're being a good friend, you should check in on me. When that is just like sweeping the, I think, larger issues in the situation under the rug. And mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. so uncomfortable that we're like in this mentality of let's fix it right now instead of sometimes just needing someone to listen to you and validate your feelings and give you support that 
this is a normal way to feel sometimes. Yeah, 100%. I like that is mental health to a T. Like people don't talk about it because they don't know how to sit in that like uncomfort. They don't know how to sit in that truth. They don't know how to sit in that. I can't provide a solution right at this immediate moment. And so that's why there's still so much stigma about mental health. That's why there's still so much stigma around sexual assault. That's why there's still so much stigma around gun control and politics and religion. Like all of these are so like polarizing things because they are not things that we have an immediate solution to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty. Of it. I mean, we all are because I want my people to feel okay. I want to help my people immediately. And it's a different situation when you're the one on the, on the receiving end. Right. Mm-hmm. Thinking like, cause if, if, you know, if things are outwardly looking good for me, like if, I'm seeming okay. And someone were to check in on me, even though I want it, I know I want it. I would be in the back of my mind thinking, what did I do to make them think that I needed to be checked in on? Right. What, what happened to make them, you know, have this inclination to do it. And that's so sad. If you're good friends with people, or even if you're not good friends with people, if you feel the need to check in on somebody that should be like how we interact as humans. Right. Mm -hmm. And just be okay to listen and not just do the perfunctory pleasantries of, Oh, I'm fine. And you, uh, no, it's like, if someone were to tell me like, yeah, I'm just like not having a great day today. And obviously I deal with this a lot in my, um, line of work. Right. But that's not an invitation for like, Oh, okay. Well, sorry about that. It's, it's, we should have initial inclinations and feel comfortable enough to say, you know, if you're, if you need to talk to somebody about it, or if you, you know, you want to share, I'm here for you in a, genuine way not in a oh this is what I have to say to Mm -hmm. like like person type of mentality I just heard someone say the other day think less listen more Mm -hmm. and I was like wow like 100% that is something that we all need to do and I think I feel that we listen to respond. And that's something that we talk about so often in student affairs and in any educational setting, I think, but um, we listen to respond and we are thinking while they're talking and we're not actually listening to what is being said. And therefore we're not picking up on cues. We are not, you know, getting the full story and we're ultimately harming the relationship, the conversation, the moment, perhaps a positive reinforcement of something greater, you know, like there's just so much to it there, but think less, listen more. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a good, like, I'm going to start using that. It's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, shifting gears here, um, I know that has been on my mind a little bit today as it um, is cold and rainy and snowy here. I know the seasons are turning out in Colorado as well. Um, I suffer from seasonal affective disorder. I have for years. In fact, that was one of the first kind of inclinations that led my family and I to realize that, you know, maybe there is something else going on here. Um, 
because I really do struggle in the winter time. Um, it hits about this time of the year, October usually, and it goes really until February or March. And um, so, yeah, I just, I'm curious, do you suffer from that? Is that something that you go through? Do you see that in your students? I know I'm asking a thousand questions at you of you right now, but I, I guess just because it's been on my mind, I wanted to bring it up. So I would say that personally, I don't, I don't really feel like that is something that I, I'm dealing with. I would say that it is something definitely that I see with students for sure. And, you know, and especially students at Western, especially students at Western, because there's this cultural mentality of like, what is your identity? Right. And I see this a lot in college students with trying to find out who they are as a person, like, where do I fit in all of those things. And one of the big markers of that, mm -hmm. obviously, for our school is, you know, what's your relationship with like the outdoors, and specifically, what's your relationship with being active, right? Are you a skier? Are you a snowboarder? Like, are you outside, right? And it's like this very expensive thing to get into, right? Mm -hmm. and very, like, non-inclusive for you know people of color or um you know uh, people who just don't like being outside or people who are physically unable to to do those things right and I think that that is like mentally taxing to a lot of students because there's not a whole lot in our town available to students if they're not outdoorsy people right mm -hmm. and obviously it's a niche destination school and I do think that it is something where students don't know what they're signing up for before they get here a lot of times. And I definitely have had conversations with students in terms of, you know, what, what are you doing to like fill your bucket? What are you doing to um, be enjoying yourselves, right? When the daylight is very short here. Um, and I, I do notice like the mid semester, mid fall semester slump and a lot of students come into spring semester and start really strong. And then they have a myriad of different factors affect them. And yeah, obviously yeah. COVID has not, um, not been helpful in that regard. But I think that there are many, many people that whether they acknowledge it, whether they talk about it, um, definitely that is something that is a consideration, especially in you know these rural mountain towns. One of the things that we get asked, or at least I have, um, and I'm assuming a lot of people do too, when they are talking to their healthcare provider is um, a screening question on depression. Um, and that is very prevalent in mountain communities having mm -hmm. depression. And I think that's directly correlated to our seasons um, and how remote we are. Definitely. Yeah, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on that, but it's just been something on my mind today. And so I wanted to make sure that I included it in our conversation today. So um, yeah. Authentically, Joel. I know. Thank you. Uh, but thanks for sharing. Um, I I know in my perspective, um, working in in Gunnison and living in Gunnison for almost five years, you know, um, I certainly experienced my fair share of sad or seasonal affective disorder there, and I definitely saw it in our students. And so I just I wanted to hear another person's perspective. But 
Um, you brought up another point that I wanted to jump into because this is also something I've been talking about and researching a lot lately. Um, and that is the expenses and accessibility of mental health care. Um, you specifically spoke about expenses and accessibility and inclusion of, you know, the outdoors in Gunnison and, you know, the skiing and snowboarding and rock climbing and all of that stuff. Um, but obviously, you know, thinking about it in terms of mental health care, it's something that I, I really have been thinking about a lot and just, you know, doing research and obviously like I want to push for policy and advocacy and that's something that my organization is going to, you know, be really looking into in the future. We're not there yet, but in the future is some major advocacy and um, policy work, um, especially as we are um, increasing our statewide contracts. And so we are, what that means um, is we're getting state funding and um, certain in certain areas. And so we will have the ability to kind of be that um, thought leader, I guess, when it comes to advocacy and policy. Um, that was a long way of getting to my point of accessibility and expenses and inclusion when it comes to mental health care. Um, I, I guess I'm just, I wanna hear your thoughts on that because especially at Western, you know, this is my experience, again, my lived experience going through what I did at Western. There was not enough resources and not enough allocation of funds, of staff, of infrastructure, of resources surrounding mental health and mental health care, both on campus and in the region, the area. And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I left is because I was pushing, pushing, pushing for more and, you know, fighting for more. And it was falling on closed ears. It was, I mean, it's closed ears, closed minds. Like they don't want to think about it. They didn't want to act. And for me going through what I did go through, you know, losing three students in one year's time frame to suicide. And, you know, there's been more before that, more after that, you know, like, and so it's, it's a rippling, like dramatic impact on that community. And still I doubt there's been any changes being made in that front. I, I, I just, what's it, what's it take to get more accessibility? What's it take to get more inclusion? What's it take to get more affordability of mental health care? And how do we get that baseline knowledge of like, this is where everyone's at and this is where we need to be. And what does it take to meet those needs? I don't know that there's a question there, but I'm just talking through this. <laughs> I don't know if there is an answer and that's so unfortunate. And I know that, yeah, I was, I was there with you on campus um, mm -hmm. during all of those events. And, you know, even as a person who was well, right. Mentally well, that was deeply impactful. And I feel yeah. like deeply impactful to everyone in, in our circle. Um, whether they be students or faculty or staff or community members. I don't think that there's truthfully one person in that community that wasn't impacted in some way, whether they'll admit that or not, and or whether that has repercussions on them is a different story. But every single person in that community was impacted by that series of deaths in such a short period of time. 
And I think that we know as higher education professionals that this is a very traumatic time in students' lives. Even if things are going really well for them academically, uh-huh. personally, it's still a total shock to the system in terms of you are, a lot of students are feeling really homesick. A lot of students are, again, having some crisis identity issues. Um, students are responsible for themselves for the first time. And that leads to, you know, a lot of things happening in their lives that can negatively impact them, right? Yeah. It's very important to me that the majority of the students that I work with need to have some type of supplemental support aside from what is available to them. I hate this like mentality of like, hey, we're doing our best because ultimately that is not okay. And their best is not the best that they can do. They just, they don't know any better. And that's why they say that it's their best. (laughs) I have had multiple students who have had life altering, life shattering things happen to them. Death of a parent, death of a friend. Um, You know, obviously COVID is this black cloud over everyone. And I think that that even if people aren't, cognizant of it is impacting all of our mental health right now in terms of just the state of the world, right? And how devastating it was. I think that having one hour a week of walk-ins is sad and unacceptable for our students, for our mental It's unconscionable, not only unacceptable, but unconscionable. And students are not supported in the way that they need to be in terms of expectations set for them um, in terms of the amount of support that they have available as on-campus students to have access to those services booked weeks and weeks and weeks out at our mental health center on campus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That would be discouraging to anybody. Why would you try? Why would you put forth effort into advocating for yourself when nothing's going to come of it? And that's very disheartening to me. That's very like, yeah, it's so discouraging because I see the need for it in my students and I want to be supportive for them. And, you know, I guess that goes back to my authenticity conversation of like, I have definitely been pretty candid with students before and letting them know that I seek out mental health services, that I think that it's something that everyone should add, have access to, regardless of, you know, where you are at on your mental health journey. The school is plagued by this. I almost feel like it's endemic on campus that mental Mm -hmm. health crises are not being properly addressed because A, people are too uncomfortable to deal with it. And it's not seen as priority because it's not money-making, like revenue generating, like enrollment numbers boosting. Well, and that's all they care about is enrollment numbers and money. But I hate to break it to you, when your students are dying because you're not putting them first, your enrollment numbers are going to continue to decline, as are your budget lines. (laughs) And I think that there are some really incredible people at our institution that work very hard to to fight for it for sure there's i mean a handful of great people it almost feels insurmountable Mm -hmm. and that is devastating that's absolutely devastating i recognize that i have a lot of privilege as being someone who has insurance as someone who has um, alternative modes to be able to seek out mental health services i currently am doing um telehealth right 
Um, and so that's something where I have like flexibility with my work schedule to be able to do that. Um, I have the funds to be able to continue that once my employee benefits are done. I have a lot of um, freedom in who is going to be my mental health um, point touchstone, right? Because I don't have as many experiences that would make it to where I would be uncomfortable talking to people, right? And I think that all of those things are extreme barriers that not only students at our institution are, are facing, but people all across the country that don't have access to mm-hmm. quality, reliable, and available mental health care services. Yeah, 100%. So part of the reason that I'm, I'm bringing this up is because, so the other podcast that I host for work um, is called Great Minds with Lost and Found. And, um, one of, well, multiple of people that I've spoken to, um, on the podcast, as well as just in general with my work, um, have said that, um, there is a great need for the helpers. Like we are so understaffed in the helping professions, that that is now part of the reason why this endemic, as you said, that word, I love the word endemic versus pandemic, because I think that you're told, I totally think that you're correct in that, like, um, but I think that because we don't have the helping professionals, that's one of the reasons that we don't have access to it. And you're right. It's not just the community. It's literally national. It's like nationwide. Um, yeah, it's just wild. It's totally, totally just devastating and heartbreaking. And I just can't even believe that we're still in this situation. <laughs> well, how can we expect our givers and our helpers, right? To be able to be that person for someone else when they're not honoring how they feel, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not honoring the fact that they need to be invested in as well. Yeah. So high. Burnout is so high. Look at how many nurses and doctors have left. Look at how many EMTs have left. Look at how many uh, higher education professionals have left. Like all of us. Teachers. Yeah. People who are so deeply impactful and like have the capacity to relationship build to be that person for anyone who's struggling, but particularly students, right? No wonder that it's hard to establish that trust a lot of times because people right, rightfully so are like, I can't deal with this anymore. Like I, I myself have to work towards getting myself into a better place mentally. Right. It's like, we're not even given permission to work on that side of ourselves. And yeah. so trickle down, trickle down. Who's going to suffer from that? It's going to be our students. It's going to be the people who we are tasked with. And well, in the future generations. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Anywho, I think I could talk about this forever, but I'm not going to, um, you know, wear this, wear this down any further than it needs to be. But um, this, you know, this is work that we will continue to be doing and fighting for. And, you know, that's why I'm in the work that I'm now doing and hopefully using my privilege and using my platform and the voice that I have with it, I can be able to instill some change to the systems that we have in place in our country um, to enact different policies 
and you know advocacy networks and grassroots movements to change things up but anywho um we're getting short on time here so you know the drill um i'm gonna ask you what does assist you mean to you as it relates to your mental health journey today in this moment as we're recording Sisu is, I think, a changing perspective, right? And I think, like you said, how do I feel about it in this moment? Sisu is being vulnerable. Sisu is being someone who other people feel safe with, right? Oh, love that. that. You are one of those people for me Mm. that I feel like I can be this person that I am messy, complicated, imperfect, happy, sad, anxious, joyful. And the way that you show up for your people is if you, even if you don't realize it in the moment, incredibly impactful. Wow. Thank you for that answer and for the confidence boost. about love today. (laughs) We are all about, I'm all about love every day, but uh, well, thank you so much, McKay, for recording with me, for being vulnerable and brave enough to come on the podcast and um, and talk all things in your head. Um, Because this podcast is all about connecting with people and building community and finding support um, through our stories and through our experiences, where can people find your work or your, you know, story or yeah. If people just want to connect with you, where can they find you? Absolutely. So I am on Instagram. I am my, my handle is must be ginger. (laughs) So I think that, um, I try to be authentically myself there, um, as much as I can. So I'm constantly like, kind of like, you know, posting things that I feel like resonate with me. So maybe it'll resonate with other people. And then, yeah, I am currently, yeah, working on some big initiatives at Western Colorado University. And I'm really excited to continue my my journey there. And those are places people can find me. Yay. Well, thanks so much again. I adore you. Obviously, you know that already, but um, thank you. And I love you and stay well. And we'll be in touch soon. See you soon. Love you, babe. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to connect with me, you can email me at itsallinmyhat.show at gmail.com. Add me on Instagram at itsallinmyhat.show or connect with me on Twitter at All In My Head Show.